This is Just a Few Questions. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Mary Patillo. Mary Patillo is the professor of sociology and chair of the Department of African American Studies at Northwestern University. How are you, Professor? I'm good. How are you, Mark? Uh, I, I've been wanting to do this for about a year, and I just recently got the courage. It's <laughs> <to send laughs> well, good send to you, be with you. Send an email because years ago, uh, Professor Patello, years ago I heard you on uh, WBEZ. They have a, uh, a report called Curious City. And mm-hmm. it was the question was, are there, okay, where are the poor white neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. That was the question. People look it up, WBEZ, you know, it's easy to find. And during that report, you said, and maybe I'm wrong, you can straight, straight me out. You said class stratification among blacks is higher than class stratification or class segregation. I'm sorry, segre- mm-hmm. class mm-hmm. segregation is higher than the whites and Latinos. Expound mm-hmm. and explain that to me and everybody else. Yep. Um, so first, I'll clarify that I mean residential class segregation. So it doesn't mean class segregation within families or schools or, you know, organizations, those things we could talk about, but that's not what I was talking about then. And I don't think it's what we'll focus on right now. So we're talking about in neighborhoods. And basically what that means is it compares um, how low income, middle income and high income black people live compares that to how low income, middle income, and high income white people live. And it asks, are black people more residentially segregated by income than are white people? And this is really a question for demographers. I'm actually not a demographer, so I'm mostly reporting on the research of other people. People who, demographers are people who study populations and do it with numbers. I am an ethnographer. I study people by talking to them and listening to them and uh, using their words to create, to, to write stories. But the demographers have studied this question and they have shown that um, black people, uh, low income, middle income, and high income people are living in more different neighborhoods. They're more residentially segregated. It's more likely that they are uh, dispersed residentially than our white people. Now, there's a twist to that because many people would say that doesn't seem right for what I've lived. And in fact, my own ethnography, my, my first book, Black Picket Fences, really kind of goes in the other direction. And you might say, well, how can two things be true? This is the two things that are true. Even though black people are more residentially segregated by income than our white people, black people, black middle-class people, for example, and black, black upper income people still live in neighborhoods that have higher poverty rates than do similar white people. That means then do similar white middle-class people and white uh, upper-class people. And the reason for that is that the poverty rate among Black people is just much higher. It's, uh, depending on what year we're looking at, between 25 and 30 percent for Black people and between 9 and 11 percent for white people. And so even though Black uh, middle and upper income people um, who are doing most of the work in residentially segregating themselves, even though they... um, 
even though the black community is more fragmented, segregated by income, that doesn't mean that our neighborhoods aren't mixed income, that middle income black people and upper income black people still live with a greater proportion of low income people than do middle income and upper income white people, just because they're more low income black people to go around in our neighborhoods and because neighborhoods are relatively uh, racially segregated. So, you know, black people tend to live with black people and white people tend to live with white people. So the two things can be true. It is true that residential Income segregation is higher among black people than it is for white people, but it's also true that black middle and upper income people live in neighborhoods with a higher proportion of poor people than do uh, white people. So that, you know, I'll just kind of give a little historical contour to that. You know, when we think about the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s here in Chicago, um, when Black folks uh, were coming from the South and there was a very restricted number of neighborhoods that Black folks could move to. And we call it the Black Belt. Sometimes we call it Bronzeville, basically bordered by Cottage Grove on the East, State Street on the West, maybe 63rd Street on the South, about 26th Street on the North. Um, so that was it. Very small area and everybody lived there. Uh, from your numbers runners to your doctors, to your unemployed folks, to your librarians and to your uh, steel uh, mill workers. And after about 1960, that, or actually really beginning in the 40s and throughout, but really after 1960, 1970, the places where black people could live expanded. And so you had those who could moving further and further south on the south side. Um, and the west side was not as class diverse, but still moving further and further west on the west side. And as a result, you can see how that corresponds to residential segregation by income because middle-class people were first moving to Woodlawn and then to South Shore and then to Chatham and to Avalon Park and to Calumet Heights and to uh, Morgan Park and to Beverly, um, ultimately, and ultimately to the South Suburbs. And you can see that how that would increase residential segregation by income. But nonetheless, even though Black middle and working class people and upper income people were moving to Chatham and Pill Hill and so on. Um, so were lower income people. And again, that the fact that there is a higher poverty rate uh, among the black population means that even all of those neighborhoods will have a higher poverty rate than most white uh, middle-class neighborhoods where the poverty rate is much lower. So we live in more mixed income communities, black folks, we live in more mixed income communities than white folks, even though uh, demographically, we're more residentially segregated by income. So that's a long answer to that question. <laughs> oh, that's why you're a professor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> professor uh, Patello, I, I, I perceive you as a glass half full kind of person. And Mark oh. Sims is a complete opposite. I see the glass half <laughs> empty and I remind people of that every day. And that's, that's why I don't have any friends. <laughs> okay. I, say, I, say that, I say that because I want you to talk about your, your, your book, uh, black on the on the block, black mm -hmm. on the block, and I'm going to ask the question so you can just go into your dissertation real quick. How has the North Kenwood Oakland neighborhood changed changed since you wrote the book? 
black mm-hmm. on the block. Yep. So North Kenwood, Oakland, for folks who aren't Southsiders, is bordered by 35th Street on the north and 47th Street on the south and Cottage Grove on the west and the lakefront on the east. So it's not technically part of traditional Bronzeville, which stopped at Cottage Grove, but parts of the north part of it might have been, you know, because it started turning black maybe in about the 1940s. So it was kind of later Brownsville. Um, but it hugs the lakefront and it's just north of uh, Hyde Park, South Kenwood. So there's this distinction between South Kenwood and North Kenwood, uh, primarily as a result of the planning by the University of Chicago in Hyde Park, who set their planning border at 47th Street and basically neglected everything north of it and poured a lot of money and did a lot of... Um, got a lot of government resources to, um, to to work on the area south of it. So that's why Hyde Park South Kenwood goes together and North Kenwood and Oakland go together. Um, so I started doing research in North Kenwood, Oakland in 1998. Uh, so gosh, that's a long time ago. And I published Black on the Block in 2007. And that's still a long time ago too. That's still 14 years ago. So yes, the neighborhood continues to change. And let me just say, of course, neighborhoods are always changing. There's no such thing as a neighborhood that doesn't change. Um, So North Kenwood, Oakland remains predominantly black. Um, It is much less poor than it was when I first started doing the research in 1998. Uh, There's a lot more development. There was a lot of vacant land in North Kenwood, Oakland. About a third of the land was vacant, you know, as the result of uh, buildings having been torn down and having fallen into disrepair and uh, just a lot of demolition. Um, So there's a lot less vacant land in the neighborhood now than there was when I started the research and even then when I started, then I, when I wrote the book in 2007. Um, and, you know, I, I published the book in 2007 and we all know what happened then. We had a, a housing market crash. And so really the neighborhood was kind of stuck just as I wrote in the book for a good five to maybe seven years, all development ground to a halt. And I mean, you could see it. You would drive past places that got half built and we're just sitting there. No construction crews, no nothing. You were wondering what the heck is going to happen here. Um, so for a good five to seven years, things were literally stuck. And then within the last five years, I would say, um, things have really, really picked up. And so I would say that the the kind of neighborhood that I described, that's much more mixed income. You know, there's... Um, At the northern end of the neighborhood, there is uh, Chicago Housing Authority housing and a redeveloped mixed income community. And then there are some scattered site public housing replacement homes uh, throughout the neighborhood. And then there's some affordable housing um, apartment buildings throughout the neighborhood. But uh, the mixed income nature of it, the really the ability for low-income and working-class folks to afford the neighborhood has decreased in the last five years. It's become much more expensive. There are many fewer affordable apartments and no affordable home ownership opportunities. The home val- the home prices pretty much are $500,000 and above. So there's almost no home ownership opportunities for working class and lower income folks and very few rental opportunities. Um, it, it has 
there there are there there's some racial integration so there are some white people some latinx people some asian americans moving into north kenwood oakland not in huge numbers and mostly as you might imagine coming from the south so from south kenwood hyde park uh moving in that direction as opposed to uh perhaps from the west for example not as much from the west um so but but it's and it's a wonderful neighborhood. I mean, as you can imagine, it has an old housing stock. Um, I frequently uh, work out at Mandrake Park, which is at um, 39th Street, Pershing, Oakwood, uh, between Cottage Grove and the lake. And I often call it Black Paradise because it is just black folks of all um, sizes, skin tones uh, from all parts of the neighborhood, uh, all ages out there doing boot camps and walking around the track and taking their kids to the, um, there's a, a playground and there's some basketball courts. And I really uh, feel like that is a model of what, of how black folks can live. Um, and it is, and that is a mixed income use. There definitely are, you know, black folks from across um, both uh, North Kenwood, Oakland and just to the West, which would be Grand Boulevard and Douglas. Um, so I love Mandrake Park and there are other spaces like that in the neighborhood. So I think that's a good update on where we are now in North Kenwood, Oakland. And, and I'm going to try to move along, close out the conversation because, I, you know, you know yep. your valuable time. Is fact, yeah, I know, I know, I know, yep. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but you're a professor. <laughs> you're right. I, I, I can't I can I can talk about myself for 10 minutes. <laughs> you're a real professor. I'm a pseudo social science scientist. So I'm I'm rolling around the neighborhoods all the time. I'm, I'm at the at Mandrake Park every once in a while. I walk around the track and try to lose some weight. But, you know, mm-hmm. your neighborhood is a lot different than parts of Roseland, parts of Inglewood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the black population is decreasing and will continue to decrease because we stopped coming here in 1970. So, you know, mm-hmm. these things are going to happen. So I know you are a, I mean, you're not, you know, you don't want to do too much speculation because you are a professor, but yes. just talk about, let me say this, like, like I tell everybody, thanks for being on the show. You're going to close out mm-hmm. the podcast by talking about what do you see uh, black Chicago in this segregated town uh, 20, 30 years from now? Because it seems like we're mm-hmm. going to continue to move out of this mm-hmm. town for a lot of different, either move out or die out. So what, mm-hmm. what do you see us, um, how do we manage that decline over the next 20, 30, 40 years? Well, here, I guess maybe I am a glass half full kind of person. Um, I I actually wrote a piece called Black Chicago Ain't Dead. And, you know, if we embrace what we have, of course, there are problems. We cannot say there aren't when over the 4th of July weekend, 90 people were shot. So we got a lot of work to do. But um, we're still, you know, the largest black population after New York City. And, you know, we're full of cultural institutions and full of life and love. So I I don't want to I'm not writing off black Chicago, but Chicago in general is fighting against a lot of national trends. So, yes, you're right. Black folks are moving out of Chicago. But I mean, the entire country is experiencing a shift of the population from the north and northeast to the south and southwest, southwest and southwest. Um, so black folks are doing that too. You know, black folks are moving to Atlanta and to Houston and, you know, to Charlotte and so on and so forth. So Chicago in general and the North and the Northeast in general are fighting a battle of population movement in the country. But I, 
again, the history of Chicago, the fact, the numbers that we have, and in this environmental moment where, you know, places are hot as I don't know what, and, you know, um, with all due respect, parts of Miami are falling apart. And, you know, here in Chicago, we can walk to the lake and get a cup and dip it in the lake and drink it if we need to. Um, so I think there's, you know, Chicago has a lot to offer. So I can't speculate, but I'm going to do my best to continue to be a Chicago booster uh, and to play on our strengths and to hopefully support what we are doing to try to um, support what is also real suffering in the city. And I think, you know, uh, addressing that suffering, you know, the lack of jobs, the um, we need better schools, we need house affordable housing, so on and so forth. I think we can make it attractive, attractive again. 